Hey, welcome to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast, where we are demystifying the complex and incredibly dense, complicated, and obtuse world of cybersecurity, making it hopefully accessible and reasonable to the everyday person, the average person, the everyday listener to our podcast, which, you know, there's got to be at least six of you by now. I am Brian, the cybersecurity attorney. And I'm cybersecurity architect, and I usually go by Ryan. Yeah, there are other names, but, you know, for, for right now, we're going to go ahead and make sure that any of the compromise that the Russian government has on either one of us is kept to a relative minimum. So, Today, we're going to be talking about a concept that you've heard us discuss in numerous instances in the past, and it's this idea of being resilient, resiliency as a business. Now, as a basic concept, being resilient is not complex. Most people understand the idea. It's, you know, it's how well can you withstand something? How well do you bounce back up again? Basically, it's, I mean, if you don't have a Chumbawamba song in your head right now, then I'm really not doing my job well, but that's what resilience is. So what we're going to talk about today is more specific, what are we talking about? when we talk about your company being resilient and having security policies that improve your resiliency. So Ryan, when we're talking about this in real world cybersecurity, what in your mind is the key components of a resilient business? Well, it's making sure you go through the steps to make sure that they're never going to keep you down. Sorry, I couldn't help it. I've got the song ringing through my head now too. No, really the uh, the big pieces of- My work is done here. (laughs) The really big pieces of understanding resilience to me in our world, the, the really important keys are understanding what's important to your business and really, really first and foremost, you can't be resilient if you don't understand what's important about your business. So you need to classify what's important from access to your systems, what's your most critical data, what's the stuff you cannot operate without, and make sure that you have put measures in place to protect that data, to limit access to that data, to back up that data and to make sure that integrity of that data is never compromised. And that means going to different extents for different data sets. But at its core, it means backing up. It means backing up your backups. It means storing them in different places. And just kind of always assuming that anytime you put any of that stuff in one common place or under one common account, etc., it has the potential to all burn together. And that's never a position you want to see your business in. So resilience is, again, it's starting with making sure that you have good general best practices in place, strong authentication, least privilege access to your data, the data classification we were just talking about, getting those data backups in place, making sure you've got those good strong offsite backups, and then getting policies and procedures in place to really enact and control all of that. You need to understand basic concepts like RTO, RPO. How long can you be down without drastically impacting your business operations and starting to lose customers or lose revenue? How much data or uh, or how much information can you potentially afford to lose before or it's become too large of a, an impact to really restore your business. Someday, most businesses will find out that they can afford to lose some limited data, but when you get to be a company the size of like Amazon during Christmas time, you really can't afford to lose anything because every 10 seconds worth of transactions could be potentially millions of dollars worth of data loss. I think you explained that particular topic really well on our disaster recovery episode when you were talking about a hedge fund. The idea that the question is when you're talking about how much data can you lose, it's between whenever your data loss occurs and your most recent full backup was, that data, well, and then also, and any additional time you lose in restoring your systems, that amount of time that passes, that's data that you've lost that your business can no longer rely on. And if your business relies on minute-by-minute transactions, you better have a backup every minute so that if your data goes down right now, 
you know that at least 60 seconds ago, you have every transaction up to that point. And so what we're really talking about here is, yes, it's great to have cybersecurity. It's great to have the walls that keep out the bad guys. But as was so eloquently stated in the movie Patton, mountains and rivers can be overcome. Anything built by man can be overcome. You can have the best walls, but something's going to find their way past your walls. How effectively can you respond? You can have great security, but you can never guarantee that you are entirely secure from a disaster or a breach. And it doesn't have to be a data breach, as you were just talking about. It can be a flood that, that shuts down your data center. Yeah, what if hardware failures. They happen all the time in the IT world. And that's why technologies like RAID and stuff have been have been built over the years to work on finding ways to build more integrity. And then you started coming up with the concept of high availability, load balancing across regions just to like separate out the data physically to prevent against those kind of things. Again, anytime you put all of your data in one place and don't have some sort of duplication of that, as far as at least a backup, if not like a hot site for, uh, for high availability, you end up with all your eggs in one basket. So now you're relying on the integrity of that basket to be the steward of all of your data going forward. If that if that basket's like a server running from 2005 or something, you know, that's a tough basket to keep your important eggs in if you're relying on those things being the future of your business. The very basic of this concept, being resilient first, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh... The first concept is admitting that you have a problem. You can't solve a problem until you've admitted that you have one. So the first step in establishing resiliency is acknowledging that the systems you have in place may fail. Let's face it, if your systems were perfect, you wouldn't need a data backup policy. So anyone who has a data backup policy has at least taken that first step and admitted that there are situations that they foresee as being not just likely, but just possible where they may need their data restored from a backup. So you need to acknowledge that all the steps you have have may not be sufficient to protect you, and then what? And I think that's the key. Resiliency then becomes a question of how much are you willing to put into your company's policies and procedures? And when I say how much are you willing to put into that, that means a lot of things because there's on the front end, how much work are you willing to put in to establishing the right policies and procedures, implementing them, making sure they're actually followed by all of your employees. And then there's also executing those policies. How much money and time are you willing to spend on all the systems? It's not free to run data backups. It's not free to have heavy monitoring of your usage. It's not free to replace equipment before it fails so that you, you know, circumvent that issue. So there's there are decisions that you have to make that will determine how resilient you are. But the important idea is that you accept that being resilient is itself important. Yep, that's absolutely correct. I think that, again, to me, classification is one of the most important things that most businesses can do, and that's classifying your, your systems, your processes, and specifically your data to just understand. Because again, without knowing how valuable your data is and the level of access or how important having access to that data is without understanding that you don't have any respect for the process in the first place there's really there's no incentive to dig into a process like trying to be resilient and it's something that most businesses may just think they don't have the time to really invest into or don't have the funds to invest into because they think they're going to need a, a hugely expensive solution and that's one of those lessons you don't want to learn the hard way because it becomes very very challenging in the case of a disaster to try to recover and return back to, you know, what was previously the status quo without having those systems in place. And just having some of those very, very basic systems can turn a recovery that could end up being weeks or months long into something that could be days or a couple weeks instead. And that kind of reduction in recovery time can usually be a make or break type scenario for, for a lot of businesses, especially the smaller businesses. They just, they, they can't afford those levels of disruption and those type of 
You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog at www.resiliencecybersecurity.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Well, and I can say without hesitation from my perspective in advising companies on their policies and procedures regarding cybersecurity, that there's not a single process that I've put together that didn't start with data classification. If you don't identify what you have and where it's located, none of the other security measures that are included in everything that I put together for your company is going to work. It seems like a small thing, but it's also can be very you know broad and expansive. Do you know where your confidential information, your trade secrets, your proprietary information is being kept? Do you know if your people are saving important and critical data down on their workstations as opposed to being saved in a designated location? Do you know if it's being saved to mobile devices where you have no ability to track what happens to it once it gets to that device? If you don't have the data classified, and by classified, we mean identifying what data is important and knowing where it is or at least establishing where it's allowed to be kept, your entire system, everything that comes after that is essentially useless. Yeah, it definitely lacks a lot of purpose and direction without those core targets in place. So, I mean, that's that's really critical to being able to put together a good plan for resiliency is understanding what you have, what's worth protecting, and then figuring out how to protect things in a prioritized order, working your way down that list. Well, and of course, you know, and protection, you know, we talk about resilience and it, it can seem like this is just about bouncing back from something getting through, but you, you also use these same principles when you're talking about your physical security. For example, how effectively you, you train your employees will have a huge impact on how quickly your company rebounds from a disaster, but also will help improve your actual frontline security. The physical security policies you have put in place will dramatically improve how effectively you can prevent anything from happening, but they will also set up all the processes you need to make sure that the recovery from any of these things are not at all impeded by physical access to your facilities. So there's so many things here that increase your security overall almost exponentially when you add them because they contribute both to your frontline security and to your resiliency and implementing them, sitting down, writing out the policies, making sure that your employees follow them is the only significant step between your company being wide open to attack and dead in the water in the event anything does occur and being frontline secure and resilient. Well, and you, you made an interesting major point there at the end, the difference between setting up the plans, the policies, and actually implementing them. That's where I think a lot of businesses find hesitation and tend to stop in part of the process is it's really easy to get to a, well, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's it's one big step to get to the point of defining the policies, having the policies in place and saying, yes, we are going to abide by these policies. Actually doing the work after that is a huge step because the policies, again, are good enough to get you an insurance policy. They're good enough to get you past an audit. They're good enough to get you past those regulatory checks. They're not good enough to keep you safe unless you're actually practicing what you're preaching. And so it depends. Are you looking to check some boxes? Or are you looking to be safe and resilient? And if you want to check the boxes and that's all you're really interested in, you don't care beyond that, then put the policies and stuff in place, go buy some canned stuff and be done. And then call us later once you guys get impacted and are actually <laughs> dealing with a disaster because you will be, and we'll be here to, to help you through it after a very, very tiny, I told you so. Yeah. And by the way, at a significantly higher rate, unfortunately.
Yeah, the I told you so might be in font size one on the bottom corner of the invoice somewhere. You might not even <laughs> notice it's there. But for those of you guys that are actually interested in going that next step further, it's worth the journey. It's worth the investment, the time. You really only need to go through it once because then it becomes standard practice as long as you keep being diligent to it going forward. And in the end, not dealing with one of those incidents will be uh, a lot of time that's brought back to you, a lot more money sitting in uh, in your account, and a lot less time sitting down going through the pain of recovering from, uh, from a major disaster. There's been a lot of people out there that have spent the time and have had to go through those disasters. Go find a couple of them. They're probably not that hard to find nowadays. Most everybody's been at a business that's suffered something and just get their feel for it and uh, see if that's a pain that you're interested in. I think that going down these steps for basic resiliency are a much, much less painful option than, uh, than suffering what could come in its place. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a post for this episode containing links to all of the sources, research, and information that we have cited to. You can also check out our older posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. And I do want to add one key thing that I've noticed and part of the reason why this is part of my experience. Ryan, you just talked about the difference between writing the policy down and then actually implementing it. A lot of my clients are law firms uh, who are trying to improve their security. And the nature of a lot of law firms' business structures is they are almost all, for ethical reasons, partnerships. Partnerships tend to be large, especially you know medium-sized firms and some, some small firms. But the bigger you go, the more it is operated on the premise of the attorney who's been there the longest is the highest on the totem pole. And and just so anyone's listening, yes, I do know that is an incorrect metaphor. Being the lowest on the totem pole was technically the most important, but we'll ignore that for now. The most senior person was the one who had been there the longest. So the key thing that I had to explain to so many of these companies was it's great if you have these policies. It's great if you're making sure that all of your staff is following them. Are you following them? Senior managing partner. No. It turns out that every single one of these policies has a little exemption carved out for some of the senior management. And Entertainingly enough, it's always the senior management who has the highest access level. Although fortunately, most of these people had given up like network admin duties because functionally operating a computer is not high on their skill list. But you can't exempt people from policies if you want the policy to be effective, period. I mean, that goes back to the old adage of lead by example anyways, right? Because even if you do have the expectation that the whole rest of your company is following it, but now you yourself are not, how are you going to expect them to keep towing that line at some point? in the future? How are they going to You expect mm-hmm. them to continue to follow that when they look at you just blatantly shrugging it off and going about, you know, whatever reckless activity you'd like to, uh, because you're, you're, oh, you're, yeah. you're above above the law. Just imagine what kind of signal do you, do you even send about how truly important following the policy really is. When someone finds out that they can add a different web browser to their workstation and on that web browser circumvent all the, the web blocking software that your your IT company put in place. There are so many things. And I mean, and I'll also say as one additional benefit to going through all of this stuff is that most companies now, we're approaching uh, January 1, 2023 is when several 
states' laws on new privacy provisions go into effect. And there are quite a lot of companies who are, you know, just under what will be necessary to qualify for these policies. But I can assure you that as time goes on, these laws are going to apply to more companies, not less. One of the added benefits to having a professionally assembled set of security policies and procedures is they almost always address the same subjects that these new privacy laws address. So yes, am I a little bit throwing in a sales pitch for the services that I render here? Yes, sure. But one of the most important things that you can do is make sure you have policies in place that are being followed. And guess what? You can't do that without making sure that the policies you have in place regarding your internal procedures and, and security match what you tell the rest of the world. Does your terms of service on your website and your privacy policy and your website and your return policy in your e-commerce, do they all match up with the things that you actually do inside your company? You have to know these. And so if they don't match up, you will find yourself in violation of some of these policies that have very significant and punitive potential damages for you and your business. Not to mention the fact that it probably isn't going to look great if your company happens to be one of the few that's sued by the FTC or one of these uh, state agencies and that gets broadcast all over the news that you were violating a privacy law. Resilience is a huge thing. Cybersecurity in a lot of ways is a huge Jenga tower and resilience is one huge chunk of that tower. It relies on so many individual blocks holding up the rest of the building. You can't pull one of those blocks out without the cybersecurity tower falling over entirely. So make sure that how you are being resilient also impacts how you are protecting your customer's privacy, also impacts how you are keeping your company safe from the outside, both from digital and physical threats. All of it is important and all of it works together. There's a whole lot more on the whole concept of resilience we'll talk about probably in smaller bits in the future, but we definitely wanted to make sure that you understood what we were talking about when we discuss resilience in general. And as a plug that my co host mentioned to me before we went on the air with this particular episode. For any more information, you can always jump over to Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy, which is www.resiliencecybersecurity.com. There are also links from our website at Fearless Paranoia to get over there. We'll have a lot of information on various ways that your company can improve your cybersecurity and be more resilient. That's all we really have for this topic today. We probably went a little bit longer than we should have. I do apologize for that, but please subscribe to Fearless Paranoia on any of your favorite podcasting apps. You can also also get more information on our website uh, where we have, well, full-on transcripts if you're a really masochist, but we also have a lot of really good resources on each one of the topics that we address and a whole collection of other topics that you may find interesting. We try to keep these episodes relatively short so that you can learn the topic and get about your day. Check all that stuff out on our website. Reach out to us via email or by social media if there's any topics that you think we should be addressing or you'd like to hear more about. All that having been said, thank you for joining us today on Fearless Paranoia. Uh, I am Brian. And I am Ryan, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you guys more about cybersecurity next time.